Hour number two of Canuck Central. Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. If you missed hour one, should be up, available on your favorite podcatcher in due time. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Uh, we talked about where the market is trending for elite forwards getting new contracts this summer with thoughts about Kevin Fiala getting $8 million. Some thoughts on Nazem Kadri and the Colorado Avalanche and Blues series. Also, Corey Pronman with an update on where the NHL draft is heading and his take on what the Canucks might be able to do at 15th overall. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. Canucks assistant was assistant. Uh, Scott Walker is going to join us here in a moment, Sad, as uh, the Canucks, uh, we found out from Bruce Boudreau today on uh, on the VanCast with Thomas Drance that uh, they will be adding a video coach at some point, which uh, I guess, uh, as we talked about yesterday, seems obvious because uh, it was just too small a staff with, with some of the moves made. Yeah, and, and that's the, the thing we kind of talked about yesterday, that they will for sure, most I mean, not for sure, I mean, they will most likely be adding a video coach the question is what capacity do they do it in in-house to bring somebody else in you know how far do they go and the rest i think will be determined by who is available potentially uh, now joining us on the show uh drafted in the fifth round of the 1993 draft by the vancouver canucks uh, it's uh, scott walker thanks for this scott how are you good how are you guys doing? good uh want, want to talk about your time behind the bench here in vancouver but what do you remember about draft day uh when when you got the call uh, it's funny. I still have pictures of it. I was showing Bruce uh, when I was there, and uh, it was a great day. It was in Quebec City, um, uh, obviously before Quebec left the league. And remember the long drive there, and then the long wait in the crowd till the uh, fifth round. Uh, I was there with a good friend of mine, Todd Harvey, who now works head scout in Vancouver, and he went ninth overall. And so, <laughs> long ways from the ninth overall to when I went, but. Uh, he stayed and supported me and his family, and so it was a great day. Obviously nerve-wracking. You don't want to move. You don't want to leave your seat. And you know, It's a long day, but exciting. And then uh, we had some fun out and then head home for training. But, uh, you know, Vancouver's been a big part of my life, so it was uh, exciting also to be back behind the bench. Well, and as far as, you know, being able to work with Bruce and, you know, you guys have had, had a bit of a history in that way mm-hmm. – as far as how it all went, did it go the way you expected? Um, well, you never know, right? I'd never coached in the NHL. I'd never been an uh, assistant for that long either. I'd been uh, assistant for World Juniors or you know some tournaments with Hockey Canada, Spangler, and all of the Olympics. Um, so it, it's a different animal. It's a daunting task when you're kind of thrown in mid-December, I guess it was, or early December, um, with a whole new group and a whole new uh, cast of, you know, people on the ice and off the ice that you have to get uh, along with. And I think that's, you know, Bruce did a great job. I think a job that doesn't get told enough is, is how well, you know, keeping all that together is hard. And uh, I think myself included, uh, Getting along and trying to make it work is 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 what is what being a teammate is all about. Whether you're on the ice playing as a player, but also off the ice, you're a big team. You know, you have management, you have other assistant coaches, video coaches, goaltender coaches, strength guys, trainers. 
it's a big operation now and uh, to try and keep it going and keep everything cohesive and, and get along and, and make sure everybody has a voice is, uh, you know, I thought that was one of the probably the, the things that didn't talk about the most and how well Bruce did and, and we did as a, a group. Uh, everybody who was there before us and, and who, uh, us coming in, I thought we, we did a good job to make it feel like they were seamless and the, that the players seen that everybody was getting along and trying to do their best and made it feel like one big family and uh, I always talk about that with Bruce you know the game's too hard if you have management and the coaches and the trainers and the players and everybody feels like they're not on the same page or they're fighting with each other it's not us against them it's we're all against the rest of the league the referees and the and the other teams right like I'm not saying you're against the referees but it's a hard game if, if you're competing against your people in your own organization I thought it it was seamless and uh, I thought that's a, just it's just a part of it, I guess, that goes unseen that people don't understand. When you're working together 6.30 till, say, 2 every day on practice days um, with all, all the people that are there, um, excluding the players that come in and, and practice and do and do the heavy lifting, and they're obviously the ones who get all the credit as they should. But the behind-the-scenes part is, I think, that it's kind of like the not glamorous part, but it means a big deal to winning and losing. Well, I, you know, I think, uh, you know, with, with how the start of the season went and, and when the changes were made, you know, from the outside, you could kind of feel uh, the, the pressure and, and feel the, the negative energy almost around the team. Was that one of the things that when you and Bruce came in, you, it just felt like you, you immediately needed to change that, just get some confidence oh, back right. in the group and, and get some get some positivity going for them? 100%, but that's Bruce's. Mo. I mean, I played for Bruce. I've been around Bruce a lot. I mean, his life is, is is wanting to make people feel positive and feel good about themselves. Like, there's no there's no doubt that he's read the riot act to guys too, and and he, to the team. But for the most part, it's positive. You know, guys are hard on themselves. There's social media. There's media. There's agents. There's wives. There's kids. There's fans. There's neighbors that are hard enough on these players. So sometimes you actually have to help them. I mean. There's lots of stories of guys that I talk to, even as an assistant coach, that say, oh, I'm having a bad year. I'd be like, you're having a great year. Look at your statistics. Yeah, but I haven't done that. It's like, man, you're having a great year. You're having your career year. And then all of a sudden, they just, you can just feel the weight of the world or see it lift off their shoulders. And then they have, you know, the next month, they're, they're playing unbelievable. But I don't know. Maybe it's just the newer player. Sometimes they think they're better than they are, but a lot of them, I think, feel like they're, you know, they read too much or, or think what the the public perception is, and, and they get down easily. So sometimes you have to make sure it's a fine line of making them feel good and also coaching them uh, to do the right things. But I, first of all, you have to get the guys to believe in themselves and believe in what you're selling or else, you know, I've always said that X and O's and all that part of the game is one thing, but if, if the guys don't believe in you or don't want to go to the wall for you, you could have the best exes and those, but they're not going to win the puck battles or, 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 you know, win the race to pucks or go to the front of them at the hard area. You, you can be the best coach in the world. So I think Bruce does a great job. He, he has enough of the X's and O's um, to get the players in the right spots, but he also gives them the freedom to, to go out and play. And, and you could see, obviously, the players just, obviously thrived in it. Well, and, and as far as this group is concerned, what really stood out to you as far as 
their makeup and what they needed in order to take that, you know, take that step with you guys, but also what they kind of need moving forward in the future. Like, what did you make of this group that you were coaching here in Vancouver? Well, listen, they got a world-class goalie, you know, and as you can see in Tampa Bay, you know, you have to have, they probably have the best or top five goalie in the world and probably the best right now, arguably. They got one of the top five best defensemen and one of the top five forwards, and arguably they probably have three or four forwards that are in the top ten in the world. Whereas Vancouver, I think we have top five goalie in the world. I think we have a top five defenseman coming along in, in Quinn Hughes. And then up top, you, you know, J.T. Miller's probably one of the best, definitely one of the best top ten centermen I've ever seen in our league. And then you, you and that's not a shot at anybody else, because then you got a great supporting cast, the guys that are probably right there, the Bull Horvats, the Elias Pettersons, the, um, uh, who else do we got? Brock Besser and Connor Garland. He started to really flourish. Podkosen was coming. And then on the back end, you know, I think Tyler Myers and Luke Shen and all the things that those guys were doing for us go unnoticed. And, yeah, they can pick their game apart. And it's easy to find mistakes, but try and find the positives in those players and that's the things that i love talking to luke and and tyler about you know on the days where we're just practicing about hey you know you guys are older you've you've done a lot of great things in this league you have your contracts you don't have to go out necessarily and go get you know points every night just be that good steady shut down d-man first pass and and get it to the guys that are up front they'll make the points we just can't make any you know big glaring errors and i i mean honestly the guys a lot gets made of OEL and all the players mm-hmm. of their contracts. That's not their fault. They, they're just there. Um, they're, they're trying to be the best they can for the Vancouver Canucks. And I really believe it. You have a really good group of guys. It's, it's extremely tough for me to not be going back because I really believe in the group and I really believe in the guys. Um, and obviously, obviously I really believe in what Bruce is going to bring to the table. Well, you mentioned Tyler Myers and how, you know, he gets paid a lot of money. People pick pick apart his game. But one of the things that we often talk about is it's not easy playing top four minutes. It's easy to play sheltered third pair of minutes, and you, your analytics can look good doing that. It's a lot different when you're forced to play the top matchups, big minutes every single game. And, yeah, maybe you don't excel and play at a level that superstar defensemen do, but being able to keep your head above water, excelling for the most part on the differentials goal-scoring-wise, that's not an easy thing to do. So when, when people – when you picking apart Tyler Myers' game, as far as some of the things he does well, what does he do well that people don't see, you think? Well, I, I think, first of all, he comes to the rink every day like a pro and he plays. You know, I play with lots of guys that make lots of money and then people, they get in a bad spot or fans or people get on them and they just shut it down. And this guy shows up every day, wants to play. He's a great teammate. Uh, he uses a stick. He does a great job of of denying passes, he makes it good for. He does have a lot of offensive ability in him that maybe he hasn't shown or we don't see a lot because he doesn't have to do it. We got Quinn and and we got OEL, we got the guys that are on the power play. He's playing a different role now. Um, but to pick a game part of his game, just remember if you don't want a big six foot six or six foot seven right shot man, rem- remember you're going to have to replace him. There's no, I've been on the other side in management and with Arizona and, and when I was with Victor, you know, just put up the right shot free agents or the right shot guys that are available. It's not so easy. He, he's a very unique individual. And, yes, he makes mistakes, but so do they all. And uh, I will take his deficiencies or his 
odd hiccup here or there for the person that he is and he, what he brings to the table every single day. And, and honestly, I, I believe the game can get better. You know, offensively, it's hard to stay at a certain level, but defensively, I think he can get better, as we've seen in Luke Ben. I really believe his game was the best I'd seen him play in three, four, five years. Scott Walker, our guest. Um, you know, one of the big things that uh, we saw changing was was the penalty kill, and you, you took the reins of it when you and Bruce uh, came over. What, what was the what was kind of the first thing you wanted to do with the penalty kill when when you started uh, to take it over? Yeah, for, for me, listen, I penalty kill. I want the guys to be excited to go out. Sometimes when you just stay back in a shell and force guys to block shots and and uh, you know defend areas and play in the pain all, the whole time you know, you get some success, but that's, you know, guys aren't excited to go over the boards. I wanted our guys to go over the boards and be able to force. And, and I'm not necessarily saying I'm, I'm trying to get them to score goals, but I don't want them to not think about it. I want them to go be aggressive up ice, um, try something new with a double swing that we use here and in, in the junior ranks and even in the Olympics when I was there and it worked good on the big ice. Uh, a little bit harder when you're playing guys 25 minutes a game at forward and you're playing 82 games. So, you know, uh, that was probably one thing I learned. Um, but I, I just think being on your toes, and, and listen, guys would tell you, you have to block shots. I mean, you're down five on four in the NHL. You're going to have to get to spots. You're going to have to block a shot here or there. I just want them to try and get in spots where they're blocking the shot that's most beneficial for them, where it's maybe closer to the puck, closer to the guy, not where they're sitting back and having to block a top of the, the blue line shot uh, sitting at the hash marks. So, uh you know, I thought they did a great job. So receptive. You know, the, the players were just willing to do anything we wanted and try. Uh, but I would be the first to admit that, you know, we probably could still be as aggressive that we wanted to be with maybe not being uh, as aggressive up the ice. Just, I'm not saying it doesn't work, but over 82 games and back-to-back games, you know, three and five or three and six, it's probably a little bit too much to ask for uh, the guys that we had killing penalties in night in and night out. But uh, I, I think they enjoyed it. I think they enjoy being more aggressive and, and making a team beat you. Um, but you'd have to ask them. But I, I thought yeah. that was the one thing we did. And no different when Shazi took over, you know, they were staying aggressive. They just went more to the 1-3, which, you know, I definitely have my opinions on how I do it. But it would end up being the 1-3, you know, whether the first guy would swing and then he'd fall back into the one three and then the next guy would swing. But the whole point of it is, is I learned a lot during that time as well. And I think that just helping the players be in the right spots is, is, uh, you know, big for them. They want to be able to play. They want to be able to mm-hmm. go and penalty kill. They don't want to just go back and sit, sit in the shell. Well, and, and, you know, obviously you mentioned working with Bradshaw. So he's back. Uh, he's going to be running the PK again next year. And Jason King's yeah. coming back as well in his role with the power play. So a lot of stuff they can work on. And, and as far as, you know, um, the overall style of play is concerned. And one of the things that management talked about was having more controlled exits next season and, and trying to have control when you get out of your zone a bit more. Because obviously your focus when you guys came in was quick ups, get the puck up and up ice any way you can. And if it's a 50 50 in the neutral zone, we'll go and get it will dig the puck out where's that line between getting more controlled exits and having the players capable of being of having getting the puck with control out of your own zone more consistently yeah well obviously when you're playing a fast-paced game and trying to get quick ups you're going to maybe turn over a few more pucks or pucks aren't going to be perfect every time but i would take that because when you do even when you get it up quick you're beating two or three of their guys even if it's a turnover you're still putting in one-on-one or or races to pucks 
Whereas if you want to control breakout and they got five guys above the puck and then you're not to go through five guys, but you're going in control, I'm not sure I would want that. And this is not a disagreement with anybody, but I will tell you, you don't want to get started with analytics with me. I have made no bones about it in my whole career, even in the management side with a team who is mostly analytic in Arizona. I was the opposite. I was totally against analytics in hockey. I mean, show me an analytical team that's won the Stanley Cup. You know, people would say our analytics weren't great when we were in Vancouver, but we were winning games. For me, that's all it's about, winning games. You're nine games under 500, you end eight, eight, 12 games over 500. That's the only analytics I care about in my life, and winning and and uh, getting the players to play the right way. Um, I'm not saying that there isn't times where you could use them for who plays all together or who tries certain things or, hey, over 10 games, we're giving up too many chances in this part of the defensive zone but to be honest with you it's, it's just i'm not an analytical guy and this is not a shot at anybody it's just i'm not and it, it, it's just to me it's becoming really really big in our game and it's probably a detriment to say that in life oh i'm not an analytical guy you may never get a job again but that's i'm not in, into it for that i'm just it's that's my point i'm not saying that you shouldn't use it or shouldn't talk to them i'm just not a big analytical guy well, I think there's a there's there's a few things on that. You know, it's um, you can mold the, the the two together, and I think every team, me personally, needs to needs to find that balance. But you know, one of the things I don't like about the numbers game, Scott, is it for me sometimes it seems to suggest that there's only one way to win a hockey game, and I and and, and like that's just not true, right? Like there's different ways to go out and win a hockey game and not every team has the most talent. Like not everybody has Colorado's talent. They can win a hockey game the way that they play. But if you don't have that talent, how are you going to counteract that? And sometimes I think that kind of gets lost and, and we've seen it in other sports, quite frankly, where, where baseball and basketball seems like every team is trying to play the same. And I don't, I don't think hockey should be that way. Well, baseball uh, is first of all, it's pitcher on batter every time pretty much the analyst is right there it's easy basketball is basically the same five guys on the court each team for the whole game pretty much hockey it's just too many variables for me but um listen i'm probably get a lot of hate mail or hate <laughs> calls, but I, am, I, I don't really i'm not saying i like you shouldn't use it but show me a team that's ever won the stanley cup i could show like for me it's just no different than anything in life you know if if i want to show you a player's good i'll find figures that make them look good right figures can lie and liars can figure so you know you can make it up <laughs> however you want it's just it, to me it's you know so tampa bay i think they were getting a shot last night badly but the goalie was unbelievable and they win the game they won four straight so now does florida leave happy because they might have been better you know analytically or or is tampa mad because they weren't good analytic like to me it's just like like you won the game move on i mean yeah over time can things change but i think that's game to game you could be chasing your tail in hockey like you said you could be like well we got to change this and but it might have been just that game like you know guys weren't feeling well guys were hurt guys didn't have a good game um but long i don't want to get into a big debate about analytics <laughs> like, oh, it, it's listen i i listen to it but uh I guess you have to have both. Like you said, and I agree, you have to have both in the room. But if you don't have the guy arguing against them and you only have everybody pushing it, I don't think that's good either, right? Lots of people would say, you know, Connor Garland, is he good analyst? Well, he was, uh, look up his points per 60. It's the yeah. best. Is right beside Connor Garland, or sorry, Connor McDavid, and ahead of Leo uh, Dreisaitl. Like, 
I, I love the kid. I love the way he plays. I, he cares. He wants to win. Yeah, he's not big. But check out our Minnesota-St. Louis games on the road when they were big games. He was probably our best player, bar none. Mm. Well, you're right. I mean, for for any anything to be successful, you need to have people that question what gets said. And I think that's a successful team. You have different perspectives and you listen, but you also challenge one another and hope that you come to a consensus or come to a good resolution. I think that's a healthy way of going about things. But you, one thing you mentioned, I want to get your thoughts on. You mentioned how good JT Miller's been, and and he's one of the better players you've seen down the middle. What was it about him specifically that surprised you? And when you look at him long-term, because the biggest question is signing guys into their 30s, and he's 29 now, will be 30 when his contract expires, and Alvin and Rutherford have both talked about that. But based on what you saw, what do you think of him as a player, and how can he age? Do you think he can age well into his 30s with how he plays? Well, I'm not going to make a comment on that, but I will tell you he plays hard, and that is going to be hard for him to keep up that style of play. Um, But... The guy warrants to be paid well. Obviously, he's—I uh, don't know. I, I just—I guess I don't know. I never really focused so much on his game before. Obviously, you knew he was a good player. I didn't realize how good and how old school, hard skill he has. Like he is going to throw up any kind of game. He's going to play it. You throw a hard pass in his feet, he's picking it up. You throw a pass right on his tape, it's in the net. You want like on a, on the half wall on the power play. I don't know if I've ever seen a better player. Because you give him room, he's going to put it in the net with his own shot. You take away the top, he finds the you know Bohorvat in, in the bumper. He, you know, take that away, he's finding Quinn up top, the seam down. Like he's as good as I've seen. Uh, uh, but not just that. The hard games when he comes every single day, he's playing twenty five minutes, the hardest position. I mean, the closest guy, and I, I think this guy might have nipped him a little bit, been better, but he very similar style game to uh, uh, Rod Brindamore. You know, a centerman who plays that many minutes that hard is 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 grueling. It's, and I don't know. I don't know if he can play till he's thirty eight and keep the same production, or he can't. That's but that's not my mm-hmm. you know my problem. But I'm saying he's a good <laughs> player. He's, I mean, you'd want him on your team. I just don't know for how long you can play that. Like he's a warrior. I mean, he was. I, I'm not sure there wasn't a game after the day we got there where he wasn't limping into the arena. You know, he's, yeah. he's going to play as hard as it is. I just don't know. And then and then people would say, well, maybe he doesn't have to play as hard, but then do you like him as much, right? Or, you know, you play him 18 minutes, you know, maybe he doesn't like that. I, it's, it's, a, it's a real fine line. It's so hard to, 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 to figure all that out. All I know is when I watch him beyond the bench, when he, if he – I don't want to sound wrong too, but some days it was like – if if he just decided on the bench we were going to win that game, we were going to win that game. <laughs> like, he just looked like you've seen it. You guys yeah. have all seen it. He'd go out there. He'd get so fed up. He'd just go around our net, take the puck, and go all the way down the other end and score. And I haven't seen that for, you know, a long time since minor hockey where a kid could just get so mad. All right, that's is over. I'm done. I just get the puck and skate it in. He's he's the ringer at Sunday Beer League sometimes. <laughs> uh, maybe not maybe not quite to that effect. Uh, Scott Walker, our guest. Uh, just a, a couple of more things I, I wanted to get to you uh, with uh, get to with uh, with you, Scott. It's um, you know, Bruce has mentioned it in some of the interviews that that he's done, but um, w- w- was this always uh, the the plan for you to to come in for the rest of this season and and go back to the Guelph Storm? Well, here, here's exactly how it happened. So I came, Bruce called me, like I forget what night it was. Well, obviously it was the fourth or fifth or sixth one. 
I remember vividly, I was at my brother-in-law's for uh, a gathering, a birthday party or something near Christmas, and I got the call, and he basically said, hey, you got to get ready, like, uh, I'm getting on a plane right now, and I'm going to pick you up in Toronto. I was like, oh, I can't do it this way. Like, I got family, I'm out of way, I'll, I'll fly out tomorrow. So there was no talk of a contract, no talk of nothing. So I jumped on the plane, flew out, started the next day. I worked for three weeks without a contract. We were talking about one, but I wasn't really concerned about that. And then once Jimmy came in, he said, well, I want to give you this. And I said, listen, Jimmy, uh, two years is fine, but I'm only guaranteeing you till the end of this year. I, you know, Jim is obviously a close personal friend. I say a friend, but more like a mentor, right? He's, mm-hmm. He was in our league when I was playing junior at 16 and um, drafted Todd Harvey and Long story short, he's drafted players from me in Guelph. I played for him in Carolina. So there's a relationship, and I didn't want to let him down. So I said, I can promise you this year, I don't know how it's going to work with my family and myself being able to be away, um, you know, in a condo by myself uh, when everybody's so far away. So I did it. I took the two-year deal because that's what Bruce was on, and he just wanted everything to be the same. And and at the end of the year, it's just – you know, they needed decisions whether I was coming back faster than I was able to give them. It's not that I, I would have been or wouldn't have been able to come back, but, you know, my daughter's finishing high school, was getting ready to go to university. My son's uh, 19, uh, so I don't know. Is he going to, you know, get a pro contract or is he going to come back here as an overage? I, nobody knows those things, and I wasn't willing to commit, and I was also obviously wanted to be respectful to them and give them time to find people they needed. So, you know, they need to know, and I told them with the best information I have. This has no, like, I think I left with great relationships intact. Uh, worked, I got drafted there, worked there in player development and as a scout, and now as an assistant coach, and my hope would be or dreamed it would be to be able to work with them again someday. I mean, maybe it never happens, but I, I try to leave with those intentions because it, it sure means a lot to me, the Vancouver Canucks, that's for sure, and the people they got there. Scott Walker, uh, really appreciate your time, Scott. This is uh, it's been great uh, getting to chat with you and uh, talk hockey, and uh, really appreciate this. Hopefully, we'll do it again soon. Okay, great guys, I really appreciate it, and uh, good luck to everybody uh, in Vancouver next year. I'll be watching for sure. Uh, thanks a lot. There is uh, Scott Walker, um, former assistant with the uh, Vancouver Canucks, and uh, joining us here on Canucks Central. Uh, so uh, you get the story straight from Scott on uh, how it all played out as far as uh, him moving on from being uh, behind the bench alongside Bruce Boudreaux, Brad Shaw, and Jason King. Yeah, uh, and uh, a, a, a lot of really revealing things there. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, we'll have to dive into it a little bit later. <laughs> we will dive into it. I mean, uh, and, and stuff. I mean, stuff on JT, stuff on analytics, and I think that stuff. And, and I know that can be taken as the big money clip and all that sort of stuff. I think he explained it fairly well where his stance is on it. But the stuff on JT and how they kill penalties and and how they play and stuff like that, I thought it was, I thought it was very very interesting. Uh, we will uh, get to more of that. Irfan Gaffar is going to join us as well. It is Canuck Central on Sportsnet 650.
Canuck Central continues. Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. It's presented by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. Irfan Gaffar is going to join us. He's uh, covering the Battle of Alberta, obviously covering the Canucks at the fourth period as well. Uh, a lot of um, a lot of takes coming in <laughs> about Scott Walker and his take on on analytics and. Look, I don't think it's it's too surprising, Sat. Um, you know, Derek Clancy mentioned he's not a numbers guy as well uh, in, in an interview he did, I think, with Drance over at The Athletic. I, I think this is part of what Jim Rutherford has wanted, uh, and, and it's part of what every hockey organization has. Some guys who are a little bit more old school and some new school, and you kind of try and mold the two theories the two thought processes Mm -hmm. together people bring the different things to the table and different perspectives are important and one thing that i believe gets missed when talking about the new way of doing things it's not everybody thinking the same way having all individuals with same background same degree same you know uh, math capabilities all sitting in a room and patting each other on the back and saying we're the smartest guys here that's not what's going on but the canucks have tried to do here is hire the most competent people in their roles and that could be Emily Castongay who's working with contracts and has uh, all the expertise from the player side of things as from being an agent Cameron Granado and her skill set and then you bring in Clancy his skill set you go through the rest of their uh, departments bringing Rachel Dorridge to do analytics obviously that department is going to have more analytically inclined people because the role is analytics and then you bring those people together and they work together and have different perspectives and they come to a consensus about what type of players to target and what the team what the team should play like and just because somebody is not an analytical person doesn't mean they don't they don't find a lot of common ground uh, let's bring in our next guest it is uh, Irfan Gafar of the fourth period uh let me get this straight. You are playing Bocce in Edmonton of all places. Yeah, that was the only that was the only thing to do yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so, of all the things you could find to do in Edmonton, you landed on a Bocce court and you lost to David Pinota, of course. I mean, if if he would have beaten me, if I would have beaten him, he wouldn't have heard the end of it. So he had to win. <laughs> you didn't you didn't do it just for him. I'll tell you that he did it for an entire nation. <laughs> Earth, you were going to troll so hard if you had won. Oh, it wouldn't, it, I would have been relentless. He would have had to block me. <laughs> he would have had to. Uh, re- <laughs> he's actually sitting right next to me laughing right now. But, uh, yeah, he so would is have that had to the block most, me yesterday. So is that the most fun thing you guys could find to do in Alberta? Other than watch this game? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, incredible. Uh, it's uh, Irfan Gaffar joining us, Canuck Central. So uh, you're, you're out there covering the Battle of Alberta. Uh, what's uh, what's what's the scene been like over there? Is it all just uh, we love McDavid, McDavid is God? Is uh, pretty much the whole hockey world is feeling right now? I mean, do you blame them? Nope. Yeah, it's, kid's incredible. Like he picks up the pole, the, the puck at his own blue line, and you you you're on the edge of your seat because you think something's going to happen. Um, I tweeted this out, but like there's a ridiculous number of controlled zone entries. He's got 34 out of 37 times just this series. And the next highest player on his team is 13, which is nuts. So the dude's got his puck on the stick absolutely all the time. But, I mean, yeah, the vibes here is, is incredible. It's loud. It's the loudest building I've heard in a very long time. I mean, it's a new building. It's, it's, it's really good. The vibe's good. But, I mean, this Oilers team, if they can go up 3-1 tonight, I mean, it'll be really, really interesting to see what the Flames do here. 
Well, I, I mean, as far as watching Connor McDavid in person and seeing people's reaction to it, like, I mean, on TV, it's spectacular to watch. What is it like in person? And, and what, and how much do people just all of a sudden just kind of stop what they're doing and can't take their eyes off 97 when he jumps onto the ice? It's stupid, man. Like, he's just that good. It really is. He, he reminds me a lot of Lionel Messi at a young age doing things at full speed. Like, when Messi had the ball on his feet, he would just carve people. And that's what McDavid does, but he does it better and on skate, which makes it way harder. Um, and he makes it look so effortless. And I think that that's why a lot of people are so you know, enamored by this kid. It's because he just makes what seems impossible for a lot of people really, really, really easy. And that line is ridiculous. I mean, they had 10 combined points in 16 minutes of the second period. And Evander Kane and Evander Kane's benefiting on being with them. The dude's got 10 goals in his playoffs. Do you think uh, the, the Flames just kind of try to goon it up a little bit tonight and dare the refs to call uh, call uh, penalties on every play against McDavid? Well, you can't run and gun with the Oilers. They're going to kill you. Yeah. Right? And and no Tanev. I mean, I don't think he's going to play tonight, but we'll see. Um, that hurts them a lot because not only does it just hurt, you know, the, the, the defense, it, it hurts everyone on that blue line, right? He's such that calming force back there. He's a veteran in the room. Um, you know, and Oliver Shillington is, is not having a good series without playing with Chris Tanev. I mean, there's a reason why Quinn Hughes wanted Tanev to stay in Vancouver because he just makes playing hockey so much easier. So it's going to be a tough one for the Flames, but you gotta you got to get this one tonight. Like, you cannot go home down 3-1. No, you can't, but what they need more than anything is Jacob Markstrom standing on his head. I know. He's going to be able to find his game here? He has to. I mean, the last game, you don't blame him. Four, four goals were within five feet. So I don't really blame mm. him too much on last night's game. It was the best game of the series. But you're going to need to find that Vesna Markstrom at one point. I mean, he's going to need 33 save percentage in career against the Oilers. So it's definitely something about the Oilers that, you know, it, it's just weird. But, you know, the fans are on him early um, and, and, and things like that. But, yeah, you, you hope that he somehow has that Vesna caliber game where we all definitely saw him doing in the regular season. We, we talked a lot about Evander Kane on, on yesterday's show. I mean, he scores a hat-trick there in, in Game 3. It's worked out so well. He's got 10 goals in 10 games here in the in the playoffs, two hat-tricks total, and I think it's 32 goals in the 53 games he's played with the Edmonton Oilers so far this year. The numbers are, are off the charts. Uh, I, I just I, – I don't know how much of it is just – not to diminish what Kane has done. Like, yes, I know he's a good player and he could score a lot of goals – but I think it's just absolutely been a perfect fit for him in Edmonton there, and especially right now getting to play with, with Connor and Leon. Well, when look, I, when, when Evander was figuring out what, what he was going to do and, and where he was going to play, this was choice number one for him, and Connor called him. I think because Connor realized that, you know, Evander's the type of player that he needed. He can skate with him. He goes to the areas that Connor doesn't want to go to, right? He's in front of the net. He, and he, and he can keep up with those two. And, and I think that that's why the fit has worked out so perfect, right? Evander will go in on the forecheck. He'll go get pucks. He'll go to the front of the net. He's not afraid to mix it up. He's not afraid to go after the team's best players either. If someone hits Connor McDavid, Evander Kane's going to go after them, right? So I, I think that that's why it's worked out well. And, I mean, he's a finisher. We all know that about Evander Kane. He's, he's always been a really good hockey player. And I, and I think the biggest thing about this is it's just the way that the fit worked out. 
Well, I mean, he has been a great fit for that for that team, and obviously, you know, they're at a point now. If they win tonight, they really have the uh, they really have Calgary on the ropes. But yeah. I wanted to ask you about Leon Dreisaitl a little bit because one of the things that Calgary's been doing is really going after his ankle, the bad ankle. I know. Which, hey, hey, listen, that's part of the playoffs. Now, if you're super obvious about it, the officials in the league will see and they'll you know they'll send the message, and at some point, you can't do it anymore. But Man, uh, some of those videos out there from Oilers media really, you know, showing the shifts where they go after Leon Dreisaitl's ankle, it really shows you that in the playoffs, if teams know you're hurting somewhere, man, they're going after you hard. Yeah, and I mean, well, I guess that's one of the reasons why people don't like talking about injuries, right? Yeah. They're saying, what it's saying a lower body, upper body, because you don't really know what it is, so you don't want to tell people. But, I mean, look, uh, Frank Cervalli obviously uh, reported that, you know, he, he'd asked the league um, and sent, sent, sent the league video of it, but it's up to the referees, right? The referees are going are gonna to have to take control. If they see it, they're going to have to call a flash and, and, and things like that. I mean, I don't think the Department of Player Safety is going to get involved or anything like that. So it'll be interesting to see if they call slashes tonight or, or if anything like that has happened, but they're definitely aware of it. And, I mean, obviously, you know, the, the Oilers media is going to do, <laughs> do what they do to, to try and, you know, see what, what, what's going on there. And I'm sure the Flames media is probably doing the same thing. So uh, just to step away from, uh, from the Battle of Alberta for a yeah. second. Um, What's what's going on with the Canucks right now? I know you know they made the coaching moves, um, but Jim Rutherford's got a lot of work to do this off season, and it sounds as though the the focus has moved to like trying to see where the numbers are going to be at for Miller and Horvat. Miller's going to be difficult. I, I, I unless there's something that they can both come to an agreement on quicker rather than later, I don't think that they're going to be able to. Um, the number's going to be high, right? And there's going to be a team that's willing to pay it, and I think that. Yeah. That their camp does know that, and I also think the Canucks have an idea. So, you know, it's in all likelihood he probably does get moved, but it's just a matter of when, right? Is it is it after the Cup Finals awarded? Is it at the draft? Is it before the draft? Or is it sooner than that? Because there's probably teams that are competing right now that you know if they get knocked out of the playoffs, are they are they can are they a team that has some cap space that says okay, can we make a can we make a a, a pitch to for J T Miller just to see if he can help us improve so that that one interests me and then the bow one too i i definitely do think a lot of teams would like to have a horvat but he's the captain of the vancouver canucks and i do think something works but again guys man like what's that number going to be at five five yeah. now is, is are you going to pay him more than seven million dollars i, I, I mean, don't i don't know i mean like 30 goal if... score 30 goal scores get paid yeah, I don't like I don't like him getting paid with with a number with a seven next to it. But I mean, the reality is that's what, that's what centers get paid. Like even for yeah. JT, and this is where it gets really dicey because even if Vancouver and Vancouver obviously wants to keep him and they're willing to go a certain length, but I mean, does he say yes to anything that doesn't have an eight in front of it and it isn't at least seven years? I mean, term wise, is Vancouver willing to go more than six years? Do they want to go over eight million? I don't see it. Yeah, I agree. And, and his agent's going to drive a hard bargain, right? He, he knows what the market is. Their camp does. And I think that that's probably the biggest thing is, is for guys that, you know, score goals and, and guys that drive play and, and, and both had career seasons every year. He's been a Vancouver Canucks. He's improved on his numbers from the years past. And he's your captain. He's a foundation in the community as well here. So I just don't know if that number is going to get that high. And I agree with you, Sad. I don't think it should be seven. But you definitely know that his camp is going to probably be asking for a number a little bit higher than that. Well, you know, part of this too is you know if they are going to make some some moves, um, you you want to maybe be able to get some assets, right? That you can 
go out and maybe acquire players and trade or even just open up a little bit more cap space to, to see what you can maybe do in free agency. Like, I don't think they'll be playing for any of the top guys there, but if they want to make some additions. They got to, you, you got to think they need to open up a little bit of cap space. Well, absolutely. And that's going to happen if you get trade. Look, I, I they're not going to be able to keep them both. I, yeah. I really don't think that works. And both probably the one that you keep. You're probably going to get a lot more for JT Miller if you can right now. And, and obviously Bo being the captain and, who he isn't drafted here in, in, in Vancouver and, and things like that. I think that that's, you know, one of the reasons why that, you know, he ends up, you know, being the guy that they keep. I mean, whether that's the right answer or not, it remains to be seen, but he's obviously a little bit younger. Um, but yeah, I, I think that in, in order of, you know, being able to create more cap space, are you going to have to eat some salary somewhere to do that? Mm-hmm. Are you going to try and convince OEL to, that contract might be impossible to move, but... Um, are you going to convince them to do that somewhere? And then there's even guys like we heard, you know, as the season was coming to a wind last year, Connor Garland and 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 other players too. Well, I, I mean, honestly, if if they can't get JT signed, the money in and of itself, just over five million, it gives you flexibility. It's not the biggest thing in the world, but it helps you. But is is this one of those things where they're if they go and make that type of move that you think they'll take it easy next year or they'll try to reuse that money relatively quickly to make the team better? I think you you have to try and improve your team in every way, shape, and form, and I, and I think they know that. Like I think that they're in the business of results. It's a results-driven business. You can't not make the playoffs again, right? And and these guys aren't getting any younger. And yes, Luis Pedersen's young, but he's young. And Sasha Demko, we, we we talk about it all the time. These guys are young, but you know, they're, they're, they're still moving up in age, you know, they're not getting any younger. So I think that that's one of the things that these guys know. And then they have the right people in charge right now to make these moves. And I think that that's the biggest thing. If you're a Canucks fan, you should have some trust in what Jim Rutherford, Patrick Alvin, and, and the rest of their staff are going to do because they have a vision for this team over the next maybe two or three years to where they want to be. And, you know, the surgery starts now. Uh, before we let you go, um, can can I send you an e-transfer and get in on this uh, Oilers 50-50 or what? I think it's like going to be $7 million tonight. It's 6.819925 right now. I just looked at it. <laughs> okay, how imagine much are you and Pinota? Imagine paying 300 bucks for a hockey ticket and leaving with $3 million. <laughs> Three and a half. That's, that's not bad. How, how much are you and uh, Pinota pulling together for this uh, little 50-50 here? I don't know. We haven't, just, we, we, we haven't discussed that yet. Oh, buddy. That'll be, our, that'll be our second intermission discussion. Man, that would be my Super Bowl, a $7 million 50-50. Let's go. Anyways. That'd be unbelievable. <laughs> uh, enjoy the game tonight, pal. Thanks for this. Hi, guys. Be well. There is uh, Irfan Gafar. And uh, you heard Irf as well there, who's uh, one of our Canucks insiders here on Canucks Central. Miller is going to be difficult. <laughs> I mean, and, and this is nothing that we didn't know already. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, y- well, I think it's becoming more of a reality as the Canucks start going through the process of negotiating and figuring out where the number probably stands. One hundred percent. And if if it becomes, and this is what I mentioned about a week and a half ago, it's not going to take a very long time to figure out if mm-hmm. there is a gap that you feel you can bridge or not. Because the starting points matter. And I don't know what's happened, and maybe nothing's happened as far as discussions go. But if something has occurred, let's just say very cursory. Hey, uh, what, are you th- what are you thinking total money-wise? And the number kind of comes back, and it's like 60 or something. But uh, Hypothetically speaking, let's just say, hey, what are you guys looking at? We're looking at $60 million. 
And they're looking at, okay, we're, well, our walkaway number is $48 million. I don't think we're going to make this work. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm just making up numbers here, for instance. So that's not going to take a long time to figure out. It is uh, Canucks Central. Uh, we'll uh, dive more into some Canucks topics coming up after 6 o'clock and uh, do some more uh, outside of the hockey world as well. Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Bet on hockey like never before with Play Now Sports. Your local BC sports book, and taking a look right now at this Battle of Alberta game sat. You know, sometimes you know, Sat gives props. We love to to look at some of the props right now. Um, play now is <laughs> it's getting difficult to like lay anything with Connor McDavid mm-hmm. right now. Uh, Connor McDavid total assists. Uh, is at over under one and a half. You get juice on the one and a half if he goes over at 220 for the money line. That's kind of interesting. But McDavid total points, you are getting juice on under one and a half. Yeah, I ain't touching that. <laughs> I, I, You're I'm getting not shorting plus any I'm not sh- money on a hockey player to get fewer than two points. I am not betting. I am not shorting. Connor McDavid or Leon Drysaddle. I'm just not doing it. And hey, what do we say? Like, if, if you listen to us in this series, we said, I don't like the value on Calgary. There's no juice there. I actually think Edmonton's sneaky can win this series. If you're going to wager, wager on Edmonton, wager on McDavid and Drysaddle, and then winning the series and winning as many games as possible, because that's where the value is. And that is coming through in a big, big way. But don't short them. Like you, you can, you can, if you've, if you've, if you've had some success, you can take your hands off and just kind of watch this and yeah. enjoy the rest of this series, but do not short those two players. I am, uh, I'm taking Calgary tonight though. Uh, I, mean. <laughs> I, uh, uh, look, I, I, I'm just, <laughs> I don't know if it's the best betting philosophy, but sometimes when the narrative is swinging mm-hmm. too far one way, I like to just lean the other way. Yeah. And, you know, Calgary's basically getting even money here. So it's it's not like it's something – it's not a number that I absolutely love and I, I have to get it. Like, if Calgary was getting plus money, I would love it even more here at play now. But I do think the Flames uh, take this series back to Calgary at, at even. I've, I think Daryl Sutter finds a way to – well, I think it comes down to Markstrom making more saves, really. More, more than anything else, it comes down to to marks from finding a way to make some more saves for Calgary. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I don't necessarily disagree with that. Um, this series, the way things are going, I'm just afraid of touching anything Calgary. <laughs> That's where I'm at because yeah. I mean, right now McDavid's. I mean, we know we talk we always we oftentimes use the phrase a player goes supernova. This is literally somebody going supernova and yeah. watching it, and I ain't getting near it. Because yeah. I don't, I'm not getting sucked into that black hole. I'm just not. This I'm is, just gonna uh, watch it from afar. That's it. This is Lionel Messi at against Bayern Munich in the Champions League. Remember when he like twisted yes. Jerome Boateng into a oh black hole? Yes. <laughs> and it's just like Martin Tyler, like, oh, Lionel Messi, he is unplayable today. <laughs> and that that's Connor McDavid right now. You know, he's just like absolutely unplayable right now for anybody going up against him but that's uh coming up tonight battle of alberta uh even money pretty much for both teams it's a pick em tonight we'll have the game here on sportsnet 650 you are listening to canucks central